0: morning again, church. I was reminded as Pastor Tyler was leading us through that meditation on the Lord's table, that passage in Luke 22, where Jesus says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I thought, this week I've earnestly desired this moment to eat the Passover food of God's word with you together that we all might be nourished by it. Now my family will tell you that I'm not much of a cook um, in the kitchen but there is a feast that we have prepared before us because it is what the Lord has prepared through his word together. So I pray that you've come ready to eat and to feast upon God's word together at the onset of our time I think it's good for us to consider again and be reminded again of what it means when we say church. Right? Often we think of it as the building, the church, but the word church means those who are called out, the called out ones, and so as we gather together, we are reminded as the church that we are those who have been called out, and even as we've been Led through beautifully just a few moments ago, we've been called out and led out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That God is the one who has called us out from our sin, from our depravity, from death. And we are called out into his marvelous light that we might proclaim his excellencies. And we do that together gathered as his church. The church is God's design. It's not man's design. It's through his church, it's called out ones, that God will display his manifold wisdom. But we only do that as we are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So as he calls us out as his own people, as the church, and he calls us together to assemble together as his church, we find, as we started learning last week, that there are new desires, new devotions. And paramount, foundational of those devotions is devotion to the apostles' teaching. But there is a way that we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching and yet not growing Although we have knowledge and we have doctrine, we are yet as babies in the faith. We can read in Hebrews 5. There, there's much that the writer of Hebrews wants to say, but it's hard to explain. And Why is it hard to explain? Because the people have become dull of hearing. They've become sluggish. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Why are they immature? Why are are they these babies in the faith? It's because they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Why are they unskilled in the words of righteousness? Have they not been taught these oracles of faith? Well, they have. But we come to the problem that they face and that we could face ourselves, even as we might say we are devoted to the Word. The writer of Hebrews says, But solid food is for the mature. Well, who are the mature? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There it is, this constant practice. Your powers of discernment are trained. And so we would be well reminded this morning that gray hairs and long years do not in and of themselves make one mature. Nor does a full head of hair or lack of years imply immaturity. But rather, spiritual maturity, true growth in Christ is determined by the extent that we put the word of God into practice. Even if we think about the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just a teaching, but it's an observing, obeying of what is being taught there. Reminding James, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So even as we are about to feast upon God's word from Acts 2, let us have this heart among ourselves that we don't want to just hear God's word, want, want to be devoted just to its teaching, but we want to be devoted to its obeying that we might grow and mature. If we persevere in the hearing and in the doing, we will find that we are truly blessed and truly happy in it. Let's stand together, church, as we read Acts 2, 42 through 47. When that get done, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Together we will say, thanks be to God. Acts two, forty two through 47. Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. Lord, we can search scripture because in them we think we have eternal life. But as they who bear witness about Jesus. So, Lord, we pray this morning that as we would search and learn and read your word, that we would not be those who refuse to come to you that we might live. Knowledge alone would puff us up, make us prideful. But Lord, as we see Christ and what we are reading and learning about this morning, may it serve to humble us because it proclaims the cross and our sin and our death. And so we have no place to boast, no place to glorify ourselves. May our aim be this morning to boast in you, and point ourselves and others to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The disciples were devoted, the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. We saw last week that Peter preaches this sermon at Pentecost. He preaches the gospel, Christ crucified and raised. And there was a response of the people. They were cut to the hearts, saying, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So there is this new inner reality that has occurred. A transformed heart. A heart that is repentant and now trusting in Christ. There's new devotions there. But this inner reality does not stay an inner reality, but it becomes an outward reality. You're told in the word of God that you will know a tree by its fruit. And so we want to see here, we look to see here, well, how did their lives change? Did they have this cutting of the heart? Did they have this new life within them? And then they just went along how they were living. Or was there something that was different about them? Of course, the answer to that is yes, there was something different about them. Life did not go on the way it was. They devoted themselves. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're grounding themselves. They're not departing from God's word. They're continuing to ground themselves in God's word. And then we see it here. And the fellowship. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And we might ask ourselves, well, what is this fellowship? And I wonder what would come to mind to us as we sit here this morning. What is fellowship? I hope it's a fair question because the name of this church is Grace Bible Fellowship. We have fellowship meals. We long for good fellowship, but I wonder, have we thought much about what fellowship is. So if you had to explain this to a child and they said, what is this fellowship that I read about in the Bible, what would you say to them? How would you summarize what fellowship is? And how would we know if we are devoted to the fellowship, if we didn't know what it is? We're going to spend a few moments right now looking at what that word fellowship means. And it's not for the purpose of just gaining more knowledge and learning Greek, because I'm not even going to say the Greek word. I'll let you look that up if you're so interested in it. But the purpose of learning its meaning is to transform our understanding of fellowship, see how it's used in the Bible, and thus change how we live be reminded of what we are to be devoted to when we see this word fellowship. So when we think of the word fellowship, when we see it in the Bible, there are three things, hopefully, that would come to mind. Or we can see it translated three different ways, rather. The first is the word fellowship in the Greek literally means partnership. So that's the first one, partnership. And we would see if we look at that word partnership, the word partner or even part, Right, So the idea here is that we have a part in something, we're a part of something, and if we are a part of something, that would imply that there is a greater whole to which you are a part of. Would it not? You're a part of a greater whole. You're not the whole thing, you're a part of something. So, partnership. But We don't have the word partnership here. In Acts 2.42 we have the word fellowship, which means partnership which doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, but the word fellowship has this word in there, fellow, which in its root, in its idea, is one who lays down money. A fellow is one who lays down money in a joint enterprise and so becomes a partner. And so we see here that being a part of something isn't someone who is just associated with but someone who takes part in. Now, I don't want to overstate the case here when we talk about what the word fellow is because it's not as if we have laid down our money. We have made ourselves partners, but it's Christ who has laid down his life to make us a part of his body. And yet, even as we are a part of his body, we have a part to play in his body. And we saw that earlier in what Jeff read to us from Philippians 1, that we are partners in the gospel. We are participating in the gospel together. So being in fellowship, being a partner, is not just something that we are, but it's something that we are doing. We are taking part together. So fellowship is being a part of a greater whole. It's taking part in this whole. And then we all also might see the word um, for fellowship translated as communion. And in that word communion, we see two words, common and union. And the idea here is that which is held in common, or together in one. If you were to look at a place like 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we see this word for fellowship translated as communion in some translation. It's referring to the Lord's table. And the idea is that you're coming together in oneness and unity. Those who are many are partaking of the one bread. So, we'll ask the question again. You can compare your answer on your notes or what you had in your mind. When you think of the word fellowship, what is it that you think of? Does it have elements of what we've just spoken about here? The definition I'm working on here that I will use, that I have found helpful, is this: What is fellowship? It is sharing life together in Christ. Sharing life together in Christ. So there we have this word, sharing. This part of something. You can view that even as you are. You're actively sharing. You're not just a part, and you have a share, but you are also sharing this life that we have. Of course, it is the life that we have because of Christ, the eternal life. But it's also the temporal life. And of course we have this together, not apart from Christ, but because of Christ. So, if we are to be devoted to the fellowship, we should be thinking of sharing life together in Christ. Notice in Acts 2.42 there though, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Not fellowship in general, but the fellowship. There's that definite article there. So this is a distinct group of people from around them. And so we ought to be devoted to a distinct group of people, those whom we know have a share in Christ. And there are two ways that we see this devotion to the fellowship, to the church, I would say, lived out. The first is, A devotion to shared time and the second one is a devotion to shared goods. So this fellowship takes its form primarily in what we see here in a devotion to shared time and a devotion to shared goods. So this devotion to shared time, let's spend a a few moments uh, looking at this. Look at verse 44. There we read, and all who believed were together. Now, there are many ways we can choose to spend our time. The early church spent their time together. If we look at verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So we ask ourselves, how do they spend their time Was it just once a week for a couple of hours? On a Sunday morning? It was day by day. And it wasn't just at the church building or the temple, as they refer to it here, which was the temple, but in our case, the church building. It was that, but it wasn't limited to that. Because they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And so we see what a picture of this shared life together. Day by day, at the church, in our homes. And the question might be for us, even now, when was the last time we invited someone into our homes? I think maybe why we don't do it, or why there's a reluctance to do it, is because it's a little bit disarming to have someone in your house. This is where you live, and they would look at the decorations or lack thereof that you have on the wall. They look at a mess. They would look at whatever they would see there, and they would know you a little bit more than what they do. This is where the Bjorkas family spends their time. But there is a transparency and openness when we open our homes to one another. Just be warned, I guess. I look over at my wife there, and she was smiling. Just be warned when you come over to our house. You're going to get all of us. And even sharing a meal. Right? There's something that is, um, disarms us when we share a meal. But let's not make, be mistaken here. This isn't easy. Sharing time together does not come easily or by accident. The world clamors for our time. The world cries out that there are other places to be, other activities to do, other people that we should be with. These things should be first importance in our lives, not the church. And while we might like to think we can do it all, we cannot. We would have to make a choice. Unlike where we spend our money, where we can maybe earn some more money, once we have spent that moment in that morning or that afternoon or evening, that time is gone. We don't get it back. And so maybe there is a Sunday morning when you can't make it, or Wednesday night, and there's a good reason why you can't, but know in my own heart what often happens. One Sunday miss becomes two Sundays. Becomes a month. Becomes very quickly non-attendance. And why is that? It's because something else has filled up that time, something that we find to be more valuable. More valuable than what? I would say more valuable than being with God's people Doing God's work. Now, we have as a culture an obsession with sports. I enjoy sports. There are many sacrifices people make to attend sporting events. But once that season ends, and whether your team won or whether they lost, what happens? You get another season and just do it all over again. But once our time on this earth is over, there is no new season. There is no getting to do my life over again, making all my different choices. It's it, it's over. So we are instructed by Paul in Ephesians 5. He says there, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's a reminder for Christians to wake up. The world would put us to sleep, induced by its fleeting pleasures. Paul says there, Look carefully then at how you walk. So those who are awake are to look carefully how they walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So do you see the days as evil or are these good old days? This is, like this is it. It doesn't get any better than this. If you view the days as evil, then you will make the best use of your time. You're going to evaluate what you're going to do and you're going to evaluate what you're not going to do. You're going to, as one translation puts it, it, redeem the time. So we are to be those who are devoted, those who continue steadfastly by sharing our time together. The second thing I would say we get from these verses is a devotion to sharing goods. If we go back to Acts two forty four, there we see an all who believe were together had and had all things in common. We see that word, common. They held these things in common. Verse forty five, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If you flip over a couple pages to Acts five verse thirty two, we see a fuller picture. Five thirty two. That is not it. Ah, four thirty two, four thirty two. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So there it is, that phrase. They had everything in common in communion and fellowship. Unless we think this is some early form of communism, it was not. The people were not forced to give up their possessions. In fact, they had personal possessions to give up. We read later that they were eating, or we read earlier that they were eating in their homes, so they still had their homes. So this was not forced. This was a fruit of what the Spirit of God was doing through the Word of Christ to emulate Christ. Let me say that again. This giving up of personal possessions was a fruit of what the Spirit of God was doing through the Word of Christ to emulate Christ Let's look at Philippians 2. A little bit past where we were this morning. Philippians 2. Beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, there's that word participation in the Spirit. If there's any of that, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You ever think about that, that... In Christ, we can have his mind, think his thoughts after him. Verse 6, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So do we have that mind? Are we ready to empty ourselves and take the form of a servant? That was what was happening in the early church. In Acts 5.32, we read that the full number of those believed were together and were of one heart and soul. And that's what we read here in Philippians 2. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. And so the fruit or the effect of this sharing in one heart was a sharing in all that they had. This tangible generosity, a right view that all they possessed was not theirs but was God's to be used for his glory. Now it's implicit here, perhaps, to be understood that they knew one another's needs because they knew one another well. That this time together was spent getting to know one another so they would know what was going on in someone's life. They would know about their families. They would know about their jobs, their homes. What was going on with their health? What are their interests? I don't know if they had hobbies back then. Maybe they had hobbies or something. But knowing people. Too often I feel that we fall short in our definition of fellowship, which is basically socializing. And we get to know one another. Which is true. We should get to know one another. But it's a getting to know one another so that we might then be able to meet those other people's needs. And then we see a reminder here, I just want to touch on it, that the material possessions that we have, all this world would we'll call life, was not meant to serve ourselves, but meant to serve people. And so all that we have is not into end to themselves. We don't serve our possessions. Our possessions are meant to serve others. So we see that fellowship is shared time together. It's shared goods. But if we go back to Acts 4, or remain in Acts 4, continuing on from where I left off from verse 32, we see that this fellowship that started and began with the word of God preached and was continued through the word of God being uh, taught and them devoted to it, the people devoted to this, didn't end. If we read in verse 33, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet... And it was distributed each as each had need. So the apostles kept proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And the overflow of that was the great grace upon all of them. There was no needy person among them. And I pray that might be said of us. That with great power the word of Christ is proclaimed in this church. That it might be great grace upon us. That there would be no needy among us. I pray that we are not people who divorce what we do from what God's word tells us we are. We are transformed under God's word, and we don't set it aside and then live our lives. We keep it under us. We keep it before us. Our hearts are being transformed continually to the extent that our whole lives are transformed. And notice here in verse 33 that this proclaiming of the gospel this proclaiming of the apostles teaching was done when the people were together it's easy to miss this in verse 32 now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul well what does that word full imply that there was an ability to count who was there they were all there and i think there's an there's a certain way of looking at this that we aren't truly the church gathered unless we're all here. Because we are the assembly of God's people. So when one of us is absent, are we truly the church gathered? I'll let you think about that. I don't have an answer to that for you right now, but it's something to consider. Here we see the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the people were together. A sure way to not feel a part of God's people is to not be together with the people when the word of God is being preached and taught. Because when God's word is proclaimed, it is accomplishing all that God intends for it to do. So even now, in the hearing of God's words preached. There's something that is happening in us who are here that is not happening for people who are not here. And this is not me being the attendance police. This is not me uh, not being understanding that there are necessary times when the people of God cannot be together. This is a function of God's word proclaimed, applied by the Holy Spirit. We. The elders of this church are not lording your attendance or lack of attendance or inconsistency over your faith. But we, like Paul, would say we are working with you for your joy in the faith, for you to stand firm in your faith. And we know that you will not have true joy unless you are under God's word, unless you are being transformed by it continually. And that's what we desire is your joy in Christ. We desire for you to be mature Christians, fruitful Christians, rooted deep in Christ so when the storms of life come, you can stand firm in what you have. And that when you cannot be here, and there are necessary times when you cannot be here, it would, it would be something of mourning. It's like, ah, that's where I really want to be. I have to be here. I should be here. I have a duty to be in this other place, but I really want to be with the people of God together. There's no place I'd rather be than with God's people hearing God's word. But we do not get there. We do not find this to be an easy thing, which is why I believe the Holy Spirit inspired this word, devotion. We are devoted to the fellowship. Why? Because it needs intense effort to continue steadfastly. and needs an energy to overcome the difficulties, to overcome the pull of the world, to overcome all these things which would pull us away. So I would say this morning to all who are hearing me, be all in. Share in what God is doing here in our midst. Don't remain on the outside, on the fringe, being of two minds, divided in heart, divided in devotion. Be partners with us in the gospel. And for those of us who might think, well, yes, this sounds good. I'll do it when I can, but I don't want to commit. There's sometimes I just don't feel like I need to go to church. And we have this mentality of a a me mindset, right? Well, I don't need to go to church, which is a worldly mindset. I'll argue that you do need to go to church in just a few moments here, but I would argue at the base that is wrong. What you need. Well, I go to church this morning. Is that what I need? What do others need around you? As part of the fellowship, as you're partnering together, in Romans 12, Paul says there that we are each members of Christ's body. And he says that we are many, but we are members one of another. Do we see an obligation to be here not for self, but for others? That you would say, I'm going to say no to this other thing so I can be together with God's people. There's someone there that is going to need the gospel proclaimed to them again. There's someone there that needs my encouragement. How would that transform what we do on a Saturday night? How would that transform how we schedule our week? Not what we need, but what others need. Taking the form of a servant, having the mind of Christ. But I would say... It's folly to say, well, I don't need to go to church. That's not something I personally need. Some others, some weaker Christians might need it, but I don't need that. Let's go one last place this morning. It's in Hebrews. Hebrews 3. I think I have the right chapter this time. I do. Hebrews 3: beginning in verse beginning in verse uh, six. What's the importance of being devoted to the fellowship and sharing together of our time and sharing together of our lives of our goods? Hebrews 3 beginning in verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. So we can pause right there. We are his house. We are his church. But not unconditionally, conditionally. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting and our hope. Therefore, As the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care brothers. May we hear this church. Take care Did you see it there in verse 14? For we have come to share in Christ, participate in Christ. That's that same word. Well, how do we know that we've come to truly share in Christ, to be part of God's body, or Christ's body? It's if we indeed hold our original confidence to the end. So many start well, and then they don't end well. We've come to share in Christ how do you know? What confidence that you, can you have that you've shared in Christ if your faith in Christ endures to the end? And do you think that your faith in Christ would endure? Do you have such a confidence in your own knowledge of self that you're going to make it to the end believing? I don't. If it were up to me, I would not be a believer this afternoon. I, what I want in the morning, I forget about in the afternoon. What I want one day, I don't want the next day. My heart is fickle. And God knows that this is true of the human condition, that we are fickle. He's mindful that we are dust. He knows our hearts will wander. So look at the means of grace that he gives us so that we will prove to be his house, endure to the end. Verses 12 and 13. Take care, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. This is not an idle threat. It's meant to keep people in line. This is our reality. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's the thing about deceit or being deceived is that you're being deceived. You don't know that you are, right? But who does know that you're being deceived? The rest of the church does. And so when you come together, the remedy to this deceitful heart is, verse 13, exhort one another every day. You've seen that before, day by day in the temple, day by day in their homes. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You are to exhort one another every day. Sounds like Acts 2. We are together. We're attending the temple. We're breaking bread in our homes. We're sharing life together. And we see something I've neglected to say at this point. But that true fellowship is not just sharing time and sharing goods. There are many other organizations in this world that could spend time together, that could share and be generous with one another. What makes Christian fellowship true fellowship is that we have God's word at its foundation. And that when we are together, that's the basis of all that we do. That's the end towards which we're working. When we're talking to each other, we're getting to know one another. It's because we want to see true spiritual life in the person we're speaking to. And it doesn't come from our wits and our wisdom, our hobbies. It comes from the word of God. And so as we're talking to one another, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I pray, how can I build this person up in the Lord? How can I encourage them? How can I, do I see a deception of sin coming into their lives? And I want this brother or sister in Christ to make it to the end believing. That is the foundation of our fellowship together. Is that what we have in this church? Is that what we want at this church? Socializing is easy. Well, not for me. For many other people, socializing is easy. I'm awkward. It doesn't happen. Clearly, right now, it's awkward. It takes devotion. It takes exertion. It takes single-mindedness. We look at one another and we say, how can I stir up my brother and sister to love and good works? I'm not going to neglect to meet together as the habit of, as the habit of some. I'm going to encourage my brother and sister and all the more as we see the day of Christ drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we cannot have fellowship with one another unless we first have fellowship with you. That there is a fellowship that we would need to have with the Son and with the Spirit so that we might share this life together. And Lord, as we examine our life together, is a one in which we would see the Spirit's work at work in us. That we would see one another as those called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That our desire, first and foremost, is to proclaim your excellencies. I pray, Lord, that you would build your church by your word and through your spirit for your glory. For our joy in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.